0: Andy Kloss invited me onto his YouTube channel for a conversation all about spiritual awakening. Together, we discuss the ascension, twin flames, sexuality, manifestation, meditation, and more. Visit andykloss.com and support him on his YouTube channel. He's a great guy. Enjoy the episode.
1: hey what's up everyone welcome to this podcast episode with brent spirit he is a spiritual teacher that talks about kundalini awakening self-realization and a bunch of other cool stuff Uh, welcome to the podcast
0: hey thanks so much andy it's a pleasure to be here with you
1: awesome maybe we can dive into like a bit of your backstory you know when your awakening first started i think it was a twin flame situation if i saw correctly on your blog that kind of like created a kundalini awakening or something right
0: yeah there's there's many many themes the twin flame uh, theme came about about halfway through, I would say, but prior to that, all of this began for me at about 15 is when I would say the spiritual journey began, the spiritual journey of, of beginning exploration in, on a, in a conscious way. But even before that, as a kid, I have you know very early memories of being able to access this very, very expansive state of just infinite, infinity. And I felt that that was that was what I was. I remember being in an un, 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 a, a seamless state of observation of, of my thoughts in my mind. Um, there was no identification there. All of this language, and, and you know, the way I articulate it today was not available to me, you know, when I was a kid, but when I look back, I have very early memories of being able to stop the mind at will. Uh, I would play little games with my mind. You know, I would just kind of see where the thoughts would go. And, you know, it was like a tool I had. And I like to describe it, you know, when you give a child a tool, they don't work with it, they play with it. And that's what I would do with the mind, you know, before bed, I would play these games. And it was just this very uh, innocent way of, of interacting with the mind. I didn't take myself to be the mind. And so, you know, you were speaking about, you know, the spiritual awakening journey and and how that all began for me. But I like to describe a little bit about, rather than how I woke up, I like to describe a little bit about how I fell asleep first. And so I think that we're all born awake as children. The ego hasn't formed. There's no intense identification with it. Um, I think identification begins to happen later on in life as... We mature as we go through difficulty, um, as people give us reasons to identify with the mind, you know, they, they tell us who we are or we begin to believe uh, the stories. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think that's a very useful tool to navigate the world, it makes things interesting to play these characters. But how I began to fall asleep was uh, there's a very particular moment that I remember. I was maybe about five or six. My parents would, you know, they do everything for me. Tell me what I'm doing, you know, where we're going, everything, including what I would wear. And so I wake up in the morning, you know, I'd have my clothes laid out. I put those clothes on and that was, you know, I didn't question it. Then one day we went to the store and we were looking for some clothes and my mom said, "Hey, you know, pick out a pair of pants that you like. And immediately a sense of autonomy emerged, you know, pants are going to define who I am. Now, am I going to wear the track pants, you know, or am I going to wear the cool jeans? And suddenly it was, you know, who 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 am I going to be? And so, all you know, it's very, very innocent and almost, you know, very simple. But for a child, this was a very significant moment. And so I chose the cool jeans and then I, you know, began to identify as a cool kid. And around that emerged all sorts of different um, qualities, you know. Who do I hang out with? Do I hang out with the other kids who wear cool jeans or do I hang out with the the kids who still wear the the track pants that their parents picked out for them? You know, and then all of this separation began to merge over time. Not immediately, not and, and you know, the ego didn't uh um become like super rigid like in one flash. I think it over, over many years, different difficulty uh, you know, in in relationships in school, uh different. You know, ideas of who am I going to be in the future all that kind of stuff future and past began to be began to be more uh where my mind would go now and looking back I can see that the innocent way in which I would used to play with the mind as a tool fell away and I began to identify with the mind now I am those thoughts in the head I am Brent the cool kid does this who does that and then from there um you know I'm, I'm I must be about 14, 15, anxiety, depression, fully identified with the mind, um, fully invested in the story of the past, what happened to me as a victim. And it was very, very uncomfortable, in- immense suffering. Um, looking back, I could describe it as being uh, suffocating, having been abiding in this, you know, Innocent, childlike awareness and awakeness. I would say to now being shrunken down to this small identity of of Brent in my head, and it was very, very uncomfortable. And I couldn't tolerate it. And uh, you know, when when difficult things would happen to me, the the suffering was unbearable. And I began to look for a way out, and that's how I found uh, Eckhart Tolle's book, The Power of Now. I'm not sure if you're familiar. Yes, it was um, big
1: on my journey too, that book. I think for many people, it's
0: a big one. Right, right. Because, I mean, the way he writes it is, is so uh, accessible and clear. And, I, you know, I read th- those books and it was like light bulb after light bulb was going off. I recognized I could observe the mind and I didn't have to identify with it. And it all made perfect sense. And I had the roadmap laid out of how to overcome suffering. And this was about 15. And then from that point, I just, I recognized that this is the only game worth playing. Everything else in my life is, will fall under the umbrella of my spiritual practice. So my relationships, my career, my work, all of that is still relevant, but it falls under the umbrella of my spiritual practice. It provides context for my spiritual practice. And that was a line that I crossed very early on, I think at 15, I think I just suffered so much that I just, I couldn't handle it. And from there, I wasn't able to sit in meditation. Uh, What happened was I sat down to meditate and suddenly experienced this uh, very intense uh, tension in my spine, almost like my back was starting to arch involuntarily, spontaneously. It was rather uncomfortable. And I couldn't make sense of, you know, why this was happening to me, why I was moving, um, as if something was was controlling my body. And didn't make much of it. Just said, okay, that's weird. I'm just not going to sit to meditate. And I just committed to the mindfulness practices in everyday life. I was working, hanging out with friends, you know, making music, whatever it was, it was my intention was to be in the present moment, be in the now, like what Eckhart Tolle said. And it became like i was you know saying it it literally consumed everything like it was so intense i was i was living in a very intense spiritual way you know practicing these mindfulness techniques then at i think 18 or 19 i uh in 2012 i found a, a vipassana meditation retreat 10-day silent Vipassana meditation retreat. And so I learned there to meditate sitting down, which I couldn't do prior. And that is what laid the foundation for a seated meditation practice. And then I would meditate in that style, but it began to almost take its own uh, life in a sense. My practice began to evolve and become a little bit more experimental and spontaneous. I wasn't too rigid in any tradition ever, I'd never have been, I explore and take what I need and move on and, and sort of listen to my own system. But that laid the foundation for my seated meditation practice. And so I I sat to meditate for a few years. Um, I would say on average, maybe an hour a day, sometimes more, sometimes less, but around age 21, 22, 23, I began to Experience a very deep calling out of what I had experienced as like a non dual awakening in, in, in non dual consciousness, abiding in, in a sort of observer mode. As a result of all of my meditation practice, I had sort of accessed that space and I was living in that space for a few years, but then I began to be called deeply into the body in my in my early 20s. And that's when i began to experience once again significant uh what i would call kundalini phenomena now movement in the spine energy moving up the spine warmth in the heart emotional um you know wanting to to just cry intense love for god intense feelings of of gratitude um everything my, my spirituality went from being very much about being in the now and observing and, and making space at distance to now being sucked right into the now without any distance and feeling it all very um, intensely. And there was an emotional component there. And it was difficult, but very, very exciting because from 15 till about my early 20s, practicing the, the practices that I mentioned, mindfulness meditation, my intention was to escape Brent, escape the mind, escape the body, escape the world, because I felt that's where suffering was. And I wanted to access that place where I had as a child, where I was you know, free. And so there was a lot of escapism going on. I know on your channel, you had mentioned um, um, DPDR, depersonalization, derealization. So there was elements of that uh, early on in my journey. But now all of that Fell away, and I like I was said, I was called very deeply back into the world, and so it was a very interesting time. And this is when, like I was saying, a lot of different energetic phenomena began to uh, take place within my body, um, and I recognized that I was dealing with what we would call Kundalini, Kundalini Shakti, and so I kind of hung around some of the teachers, you know, online that were familiar with this stuff. I talked about it. But not too closely. I was just kind of in their vicinity. Every now and then, I'd put on a talk or I'd listen, but I wasn't too um, familiar with these ideas of Kundalini. I just kind of resonated with the energy that was being shared there. Then at twenty three, I encountered a well. I, I reconnected with uh, with a friend from my my teenage years, and you know there. It, it, there was a lot of synchronicity wrapped up in our connection and it was romantic. There was very intense sparks, um, very intense on, on every level. And we entered into a relationship. It was about very, very short lived, but very deep, very quickly. Uh, you know, just about two months or so. And during that period, all of this Kundalini phenomena became very, very, uh, amplified, uh, lot of uh, just mystical experiences, synchronicity, um, almost like freaky stuff. You know, uh, I think there was a blood moon at the time. It was um, 2015 and there was a blood moon. And I remember there was an eclipse and we were at the eclipse, uh, like, you know, an event to to watch it. And I remember suddenly I began to see people's auras and, you know, I was like, it's pretty intense stuff, you know. I I even to this day I don't uh, pay too much attention to astrology and that sort of thing, but suddenly I realized, I'm like, oh, these people that are into astrology are on to something because suddenly at, the, at this eclipse I'm having all of this you know, this like uh, spiritual phenomena and experiences happening to me. So around this time, I moved into my heart and I was working on just loving myself. This was my practice just loving myself, telling myself I love you regardless of whatever I was thinking feeling or experiencing everything was to be welcomed and loved that was my practice now and everything is going really amazing in this relationship you know uh, in my naivete I think I felt like you know uh I had finally made it you know you finally you know you got this spiritual relationship. You know, seeing auras, we've got all this incredible spirituality going on. It's amazing. And then suddenly it all fell apart. It's interesting that I I just skipped over probably the most significant (laughs) spiritual experience of my life. For some reason, I went there. But prior to it falling apart, uh, we had to explore a little bit of psychedelics. Uh, magic mushrooms and
1: together with that partner or by yourself, like... yeah,
0: yeah. And my practice, like I said, was I love you practice, and I would do this I love you, you know, hands on my chest, just saying I love you, I love you, I love you over and over and over again. And during this experience in this trip, I was doing this, this practice very, very intensely, and that's when I experienced. This rising of of the kundalini energy, and it felt like the equivalent of a freight train moving through a very small shaft within my spinal column. Like that's what it felt like, not painful, but with that degree of intensity. And you know, I I in that experience, it was totally incredible. Left of my body, it was orgasmic, it was transcendental, it was mystical. It was all of those words in one times a thousand and what's interesting is that though like i mentioned i was hanging around with these teachers that were talking about kundalini when this happened to me it was so incredible and i I didn't even connect the dots that this was kundalini i just thought you know something pretty interesting happened to me and suddenly i was experiencing what i would call you know like a a state of, of unity consciousness and I, I couldn't distinguish myself as Brent from anything around me, even the room, the, the furniture, the people, it was all just me. And there was immense love there. Next day, you know, this, this feeling persists of oneness. It's 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 a little less uh it's a little bit more easy to navigate because I do have a sense of Brent here, but this oneness feeling is persisting. And the just from from that moment, the relationship just just crumbled. Over the next week or two, it had just completely fallen away. And I entered into like a very very dark dark period of my life. Uh there was a lot of emotional purification happening, and as a result of this this kundalini awakening that took place, and so just as I. You know, began, I, I continued with the I love you practice. I sat in meditation for about six, seven hours a day, just saying, doing this I love you practice. And in cycles, things would come up from past lives, from my childhood, things I couldn't remember even were coming up, raw emotions that didn't have a specific event. It was all coming up and I was just saying, I love you. I love you. And I was releasing it. And I can feel things either being released or dissolved within my heart, within this like fire in my heart. Sometimes I feel feel things kind of shooting out of my crown and kind of going out into the ethers and being released. And there's this deep, deep healing taking place. Um, It was very, very dark, difficult. Um, I like to think that, you know, I had a bit of, uh, now I have a bit of amnesia about how difficult it was you know I was I'm not a person to cry often but I was crying every day vomiting convulsing shaking uh you know I was uh going to sleep and I would have these really high fevers and I would sweat like drenching the the, the sheets and sweat so I began to sleep in a in a towel that became my blanket a towel wow. and it was dark but now the teachings that I was familiar with, made sense i had all this support in place i had all this uh these these teachers out that i was familiar with who had gone through this and i could hear their messages on a new level now i could see you know they were saying this is you know it's going to be okay go through this transformation so i never felt victim to this process it was difficult but i never felt like you know why is this happening to me i understood why it was happening to me it's to you know evolve and continue the journey and just to wrap up the 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 twin flame theme there. What I understood about the twin flame eventually over time was that the twin flame is not, you know, somebody you're meant to connect with and become like a spiritual power couple. The twin flame crosses your path to accelerate your awakening. Full stop. That's it. Like there doesn't necessarily have to be like sort of a a fantasy component to it in the future. They light you on fire to have a very accelerated healing purification awakening process and if they do that they've served their role perfectly and so today like i'm not i'm in, i'm not in uh, in touch with that person even um, though i look back with immense gratitude for the contacts that they provided for this awakening and so moving forward eventually the intensity of, of kundalini awakening purification began to become a little bit more subtle and refined, and I was going through less darkness and more light, feeling lighter, more peaceful, more blissful. There was feelings of of unity and unconditional love and connection with myself, the world and other people in my heart. So the way I like to describe it within the context of the awakening journey. From 15 till about my early 20s, I was up in the head, distant, aware, but distant, and no emotional, really no emotional component. After Kundalini Awakening, that awareness moved down into my heart, which I would call the center, the heart center. So now I can abide in a sort of spiritual awareness, and yet also be in the heart as a human being. So now this idea of Brent, the ego, the body, the story, it's not dismissed, it's embraced. And it's recognized as a vehicle, a tool, a mask that I used to relate with, with other people like yourself, for example. And so it's fully embraced, even with, you know, the flaws, the imperfection, you know, you know, the, I recognize Brent as a work in progress. And I, and I do my best to support him with unconditional love and patience and, you know, compassion for myself as Brent. And so from From around this time, you know things got a little bit more easy. Uh, finally, I was able to kind of wrap up the whole Kundalini purification period of my life and live out in a stable place. And from this stable place, I was then called inwardly to begin to share and and support others going through this process. And so when I look back at my journey overall, from, from early childhood till now, I like to think of it that that expansive awareness that I has as a child, uh, which I lost access to as the ego developed, I have once again gained access to it again, but now with the maturity of an adult. So I have like this childlike awareness, but the maturity of an adult and my work, my ongoing work is to continue to merge those two, merge those two and integrate them uh in, in a seamless way and that's ongoing work that i'm doing and the context for that now or my my work as a spiritual teacher and this is part of my ongoing uh, development my relationships uh today i'm in a, a romantic relationship i've been in for almost seven years now uh which i would call that partner i would call her my soulmate as opposed to my twin flame. And so that's the overall sort of uh, trajectory of my journey so far. Um, I know I, it was kind of a little scattered all over the place, uh, my telling of it today. It's um, it's always a weird uh, exercise for me to look back at the journey and, and to talk about it because it feels like many, many different lifetimes that I've lived and trying to find the uh, the bridge between them is always a little tricky. So uh, I, I think it's really interesting. I don't know why I, today I, I completely forgot about the uh, the Kundalini awakening, the rising. You know, I skipped over that part. But uh, yeah, that's how it goes in uh, anyway.
1: <laughs> that's an awesome story, man. I related to lots of things. I've also kind of one year after the awakening, got into a soulmate thing. But there was like some intensity in the beginning, also feeling like energies in the souls and hands and, you know, these divine experiences with her as well. And then now it's kind of like slowed down a bit. And, you know, there's sometimes even triggering still going on, right? Like intense triggering, like ego things getting revealed and stuff. So I feel like even soulmates, while they are like more chilled or whatever, like they can still come with triggering and like highlighting aspects of ourselves that we've kind of disowned or something
0: yes yes absolutely absolutely um i, I don't think there is a, a so-called perfect relationship without any triggering without any work to be done um because relationship is about growth so it, it's almost like uh um it's impossible to have a relationship like a genuine relationship that doesn't have any of that because a genuine relationship is about growth like i'm saying so so it's the same same for me as well there's there's an ongoing refining happening it's just that i just for our audience i know like you know some people may uh be very attached to the twin flame story um and that's why i was speaking about it in this way you know yeah the twin flame might not work out and be your you know your your you know your fantasy relationship in the future—they just come to you know light you on fire, like I said. But then there are soulmates out there that you know are are waiting to connect with you when you're abiding in in a in a stable place from the heart. And then you do more uh, refining work that isn't so uh, so intense as a twin flame encounter.
1: Makes sense. So we have like this spiritual journey going on. I see a lot of trends as well, like. You said for you, it started very early with awareness. For me, it wasn't like that. I was like kind of disconnected, just a normal, confident dude or something. Then I guess my mother was always ill and then kind of that affected me. And I was a rebel, I think a natural rebel towards society and education and, you know, breaking out of that pattern. Maybe that's like the intuitive kind of spiritual person coming through that doesn't want to be in the matrix or something. And then I had challenges with schools and stuff. I got into smoking weed and stuff. And then eventually I got into anxiety after mystical experience, taking LSD, almost overdosing on it. And I had like a profound experience of me being the creator, seeing like sacred geometry and everything. But then that being too much and too early for me to handle as I had no spiritual background whatsoever. And then I went into anxiety, panic attacks, freaking out. And that's when I had to heal myself naturally because the doctor just wanted to give me pills and said, you'll have this for the rest of your life. And that's you, you know, then I started reading lots of books getting into meditation, spiritual practice, hearing myself from anxiety, and then someone kept saying, hey, do this NoFap thing, and then after doing NoFap for two to three weeks, like semen retention, then I start going through an awakening, and then there was this kundalini energy, it was like overwhelming, right, and that's like nearly four years ago, and I'm on this crazy ride of like, essential, and it's just a crazy journey, man, you know, and I feel like a lot of people... Maybe they go through challenges like emotional releases, ascension symptoms. You know, I still have that stuff going on too from time to time, although it's like kind of stabilized now. Maybe we can get into that, like ascension symptoms and how to deal with everything.
0: Cool. Yeah, we, we, we can uh, relate a lot. Um, you know, uh, psychedelics have played a, a significant part of my journey. Um, I approach them seeking spiritual insight, uh, after having, you know, learned about them and then their spiritual potential. And so I've, I've been blessed by them, but I, I come across many people like yourself that, uh, you know, just happened to, to experiment with them. And then suddenly going through significant awakenings. I know, you know, um, Ram Das, uh, you know, some of the, the Harvard, uh, people back in the, uh, sixties, I think, um, same, you know, they start experimenting with these things and having they're having spiritual experiences. And so it's not unheard of at all. I think that, uh, it's part of many people's path, not that it happens by accident. I think that those substances do play a significant role in the overall divine orchestration of it all. Uh, it's interesting stuff. I don't talk about it too much just because, um, you know, some people, uh, may mishear what I'm saying and, you know, like Earlier, I, I described, you know, I, I experimented with magic mushrooms and a Kundalini awakening. But like I was saying, you know, prior to that, there was a lot of, of sad and a lot of spiritual practice happening. It wasn't just something that happened to me on uh, on drugs, you know. And so I always like to throw in that little disclaimer there just so that people don't, uh, you know, indulge in, in substances and say, oh, this guy did it so I can too and everything will be okay. They're very, very powerful, very, very powerful things. Um, I I saw some of the uh the talks you mentioned on your channel about uh, nofap semen retention, um, very very important part of my journey as well. I don't have any talks about it. Um, I'm still working on you know figuring out how to express it. Uh, but I think uh since eighteen, since age eighteen is when I came across the idea and it just it made sense, and it's been an ongoing part of my life, Uh, a journey, a journey, you know, there's uh, ups and downs and I'm very gentle with myself, but it's definitely contributed to my awakening. Um, I saw very early on, you know, porn was just so uh, widespread and there were people addicted to it all over and we were all quiet about it, right? You know, we don't talk about this secret addiction that we have. And so I just said, you know, that's, I can't be an addict like this. No point in history have we ever had access to this much, you know, adult material. Um, And so this is like an experiment that we're all part of. um, And nobody knows, you know, what the adverse effects of this stuff is. And like I said, you know, spirituality became my sole focus. And I recognize, you know, okay, there's something there with celibacy. And, you know, in yoga, they call it uh, brahmacharya, And, you know, I read um, uh, some of the work of uh, Mantak Chia. And I thought, all right, all of that's got to go. And um, I I had significant shifts in overall well-being, but definitely, definitely fueled my spiritual awakening as well. Being able to keep that life force within um, and, and focus the mind on higher pursuits rather than just purely the biological pursuits so I can relate with you there um yeah I, I don't talk about it much because um like I said, I'm still working on figuring out so so thanks for for taking us in that direction. I appreciate it
1: awesome man yeah, it's a challenging topic to talk about right because it's kind of awkward mm-hmm. and it's like sexuality for a lot of people it's like maybe even think like someone's gonna go to your channel about linear awakening then they see semen retention and like oh, is this guy pervert or something, you know? <laughs> yeah. That was me, like, I'm, oh, I'm talking about some something like taboo or something here. But then I was like, you know, this message is so important, right? Because we have young guys, you know, it was my evening routine, man, like to watch pornography and maybe on the weekend i will go party, then be hungover, feel like shit. And then the the morning after, like, fat twice to porn or something, deplete my life force further. I guess when you're younger, like maybe 18, 19, you can handle it more because you have more of that energy or something. But the older you get, the more important it actually becomes. So now, like, I'm 30, for example. So if I, like, deplete the energy every day, I'll feel pretty drained. I think so. And also the adult yeah. movies, like, they're so destructive, right? They make you kind of objectify the opposite sex or whatever you're into. And then you just see everyone from, like, the lower chakra. And, oh, I want to fuck this thing. And, like, <laughs> it kind of messes with us on a vibrational level, right?
0: Definitely, definitely. Um I heard. Now I don't know how true it is. I'm sure it varies across different people. But what I heard was, you know, after you have a release, it takes four days to reach a a baseline again, and then I thought, wow, you know, there's you know a lot of people who don't even go one day without having another release, so they're operating at a deficit for years. Like they don't even know what their actual baseline of Uh, well-being and vitality could be and so just hearing that I thought oh my gosh you know four days to recover from that you know uh, hangover like experience after having a release I thought okay I have to really be mindful about this energy and how I use it and um, I don't want to also like you know be overly critical of the uh the industry the porn industry uh i think that it is another part of of our our culture our society and the way that the uh you know the divine orchestration is unfolding and it serves its purpose for some people at some points and i think um you know it has its function but for me it didn't serve what i was you know working towards which was you know spiritual development and so i, I just want to put that out there because you know i, I know that like um you know it, it, some people that's their livelihood and i and i want to respect that and and and, and um you know not come out here and say you know we got to take down the whole industry no no individuals have to make their own choice about their relationship with these things that's and that's what i did
1: 100 percent. yeah there's no judgment of people you know maybe they've had a certain challenging time or it's part of their learning experience. So like, we're all just learning. I used to fab all the time. So it's like, it's natural in our society. So uh, it's just about awareness. I find the more aware we become the more we let these things go that maybe don't serve our highest potential. So I feel like addictions, we don't need to force it or like, Oh, I have to quit this addiction now. Otherwise I'm a bad person or something. It's more like a natural unfoldment that happens like spontaneously as you evolve spiritually. And maybe watch these videos or, Get into meditation or whatever.
0: Right. Right. That's exactly it. It's it's a it's a natural organic thing. That's what happened for me. It was it just was it made sense. It wasn't anything forced because you know I read some some text or, you know, some religion said, Don't do this. And I said, Okay. You know, it was like it felt right. It made sense. It was natural. It was a natural progression of of my journey.
1: Maybe we can talk about this whole like having and shooting on ourselves, because I find we tend to do that a lot, like even me still till to this day, I'm like, oh, I should do this. I have to do this sometimes, you know? Like, how can we let go of that? And why is that there in the first place?
0: Yeah, it's an interesting uh uh you know irony that uh you know, we could call it the spiritual ego emerges. And it's a spiritual ego that says, Oh, you're spiritual, you shouldn't have you know, these behaviors or these addictions or these interests or these uh, inclinations. Or maybe it's a, in a more extreme sense, So you, you know, spiritual ego comes and says, you know, you shouldn't uh, have have sexual desire. That's worldly, it's mundane, it's animalistic, it's it's purely, uh, you know, lower consciousness, you know, second chakra behavior. And so the ego comes in and and it starts, you know, using all these judgments against us. I like to think about this overall theme as the aim is to be in the heart center. So we've got three chakras above, higher chakras, spiritual chakras, and we've got three chakras below. And in the heart center, all are integrated and embraced. And so, yeah, sexual desire, natural, normal. It's, uh, it's, it's something that we have to respect and honor and bring consciousness to. And it's an ongoing journey. No problem. Uh, maybe there's um, root chakra issues, uh, fear, survival, fight or flight, anxiety. All that's welcome too. All those, you know, if we can make friends with all of these phenomena, then we can stop using the spiritual ego to try and, you know, um, make them go away, right? So we can almost look at like, say something like anxiety. And this is, you know, happens to me. Maybe I have some some anxious thought or, you know, my heart races a little bit and I might think, oh, you know, why is this happening to me? I thought I had, you know, I've been through Kundalini Awakening. I've been doing this for, you know, more than more than half my life, all this stuff. Maybe anxiety is just a function of the body to uh, protect you and I could thank it. oh, okay, maybe there's a threat or a perceived threat. Oh thanks, the body's still working. the protective mechanism is still operating. Thank you. And so like with like that we can flip the script. instead of being ourselves up for anxiety, we can actually thank our system. Oh, thanks for uh, you know giving me the the biological signals that I need to pay attention. Because there may be a perceived threat now then we can investigate that threat maybe it's not a real threat maybe it's you know you saw somebody sent you a text message and you know you're not under any real uh threat it's just something you read but then you can investigate it with curiosity and you can soothe yourself and say oh thank you you know there's nothing nothing to be afraid of here but thanks for for being alert and ready for example or maybe there's like you know we become super committed I'm gonna meditate thirty minutes every day for the next ninety days or something like that, and then when it doesn't happen because, you know, uh, the ascension has its almost like its own uh, timing and its own sort of uh, natural organic unfolding, and our rigid, overly controlling attitude to say you know I'm gonna meditate thirty minutes a day for the next ninety days doesn't fit it. And so we've got to just be gentle with ourselves and say it's okay if you missed the meditation. It's okay if you didn't feel like it. No problem. The spiritual ego comes and basically uses all the all the mechanisms of the ego, except now it's wrapped up in, in spirituality. So it seems as if it's justified now, right? Because now, in, before you know, if you didn't keep up with your routine, it was because you were you know, lazy, undisciplined, et cetera. Now it's, oh, you're of lower consciousness or you're identified with the ego or you're giving into worldly attachments. You know, it's all wrapped up in, in just spiritual terms, but it's the same, same mechanism ultimately. And so, you know, it's always interesting because people who aren't on the spiritual path don't beat themselves up as critically as some people on the spiritual path, which is, uh, you know, like I was saying, it is pretty ironic, but just becoming aware of it that alone is enough to begin to diffuse and dissolve it.
1: Or even judging others too much, like, oh, they are low vibration, society is low vibration, you know, these kind of, that can happen as well. Like that, I've noticed that myself as well, like judging others and, you know, the society and the world is so shit and uh, want the new earth to be here now or something, <laughs> you know?
0: Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I've experienced that as well. You know, you go through intense awakenings, like significant genuine awakenings that change you on very deep levels, it changes the way you see the world, and it's only natural to feel that, you know, you have certain wisdom or you have certain answers that other people don't, and you want them to figure it out. And some of those answers and wisdom can be can seem so, so common sense almost. So it can be frustrating when people don't get it. You know, just be in the present moment. The present moment is all there is. You know, go read Eckhart Tolle. It's it's you know, it's easy to understand and you want to like just tell everybody. And that can be a very difficult uh, difficult place to be on the path. Very, uh, I guess it's like some form of of dissonance, you could say. Um, for me, overcoming that was challenging, but the way that I did it, and I could still get caught up in those ideas, but overall the way I did it was I recognized, you know, Everything everything is God. Everyone is God. I'm the only one that's <laughs> needs to do some work. I'm uh, everyone around me, I, I look at them as actors in disguise, playing the role of imperfect lower consciousness, flawed people. But really, they're all God, playing their role perfectly, like so committed. Um and, and they would never break character, ever. I'm the only one here that has to grow and develop and, and evolve and they're all providing context for that. So we flipped the script on that once again. And now my practice is to recognize if there's some behavior or person or something going on in the world, I look and I say, hmm, "What is God trying to teach me through this?" Maybe there's a lesson, maybe there's maybe I won't be able to pinpoint the exact teaching or lesson, you know, with extreme clarity immediately, but there's something there. And rather than me trying to change the lesson, I'm going to look for for what the teaching is within it. And so that's kind of my approach to dealing with you know the judgment that arises. But it's it's very natural. I mean, how can you not, you know, get arrogant and feel a little superior and have your ego kind of get a little bloated when you go through these very very profound awakenings? How can you not? It's only natural. And 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 even that needs to be approached with a little bit of um, gentleness. Eventually it goes away. It does settle for most people. Um, and so practicing humility is very important. It's been very important for me to to watch the way I talk about this stuff. Um, you know, I always like to openly admit that I'm a work in progress. Still stuff is happening. I'm still working on things, not perfect. Like I want to always try and throw that in here and there. Because that's what keeps me grounded and also stops people from elevating me as like a spiritual teacher and saying, oh, this guy, uh, you know, he probably doesn't have any um, work to be done because you know, Kundalini awakening is, is stabilized within it. No, the work doesn't stop. And so that's part of my way to level the playing field and, and see everybody as on their own journey. Everybody has God in disguise and that sort of thing
1: that's awesome maybe we can use this to transition into like the i saw you made a video about like light workers you can live your purpose now you don't have to be perfect you know even jesus was angry you had a video recently i really enjoyed that one and maybe we can dive into that a bit more because i that myself i'm like who am i to share content online who am i to help these people like ego self-doubt and like oh i feel the calling but like you know there's this resistance and like that that actually put me on the whole like kind of maze of like getting confused and distracted even the last three years where I was like pursuing this thing and then oh no I'm not ready and then oh I should go on Facebook you know (laughs) but now I feel like I'm more like stabilizing into the purpose thing and maybe we can dive into that
0: yeah so this idea of spirituality or the spiritual awakening journey turning an individual into a perfected human being There are some historical and cultural and, and religious uh implications and, and reasons for this. Overall, the general statement should just be, you know, all of these great spiritual masters have had, you know, incredible PR, right? They've had incredible um people that have Presented their stories and presented their character in a way to make them appear as if they have no flaws. appear as if they're appear as if they're superhuman. appear as if they are not like us mere mortals. And so, we think that when we go through this journey, we will eventually come to that point. And if we're not at that point, well, then we're not when we're then we're not ready to do any work. And so, this was very difficult for me because, like. I know I've had significant spiritual awakenings, right? I'm speaking openly and and just just bluntly about it. I know I've been through significant transformations of consciousness, enlightenment experiences, self-realization, Kundalini awakening, all this kind of stuff. I know that's the thing. It's real. But yet why am I not perfect? Why do I still fall victim to being addicted to social media? You know, why do I still get a little impatient or frustrated if I'm, you know, out and about and, and somebody's giving me a hard time or somebody's not doing their job or something why does this, why do these things still arise or in my you know relationships you know why do i uh, not have perfect open hearted compassion at every waking moment to hear people's um you know struggles and and why do i not always have the perfect thing to say or the perfect timing and that sort of thing and these are questions you know that i had you know or maybe it's you know why do my thoughts arise sometimes still? Why does that still happen to me at times? And the question is because you're a human being and nobody has ever come to a point where they are without um, you know, some sort of flaws or without some sort of edge beyond which they are growing. And so my practice was to begin to do some investigation and to look into the humanity of all the people that I admired, the humanity of all the great teachers that I like. And I began to find, oh, there's a human being there. Like you mentioned, Jesus got angry, right? Jesus, his whole life, he knew he was the son of God. He's walking around saying, you know, I'm the son of God. Meaning, you know, he's in a state of, of yoga, a state of union with the divine. Whole life, he's walking around, that's doing miracles, very, very much in tune. But then on the cross, he forgets. He says, you know, Father, why have you forsaken me? He forgot, right? And so sometimes I can forget too. Sometimes we, you can forget. Our listeners out there, we can forget. If Jesus could forget, of course, we can forget sometimes too, right? And there's like, you know, great, great masters um who had human qualities. Some of them were fat, right? They weren't walking around, you know, eating the most healthiest organic food and you know, watching their calories. They were just fat, you know, or they were addicted to cigarettes. Or sometimes, you know, they would uh lose patience and get a little angry. It doesn't mean that they weren't abiding in, in higher states of consciousness. It doesn't mean that they weren't uh, you know, people that that we're doing great work. It just means that they're a human being. And so that means that we can also do great work and still be human beings. Um, It's often a way that we self-sabotage. Oh, I'm not perfect yet. I need to to wait until my mind is completely quiet, permanently, forever, and then I can begin talking about meditation and mindfulness. Or I need to wait till I have, you know, who knows, three years of never getting triggered, and then I'll know I'm ready to begin the work there is no such thing as you know going 3 years without getting triggered it's not it's not a thing you're a human being and so that's why in that talk that you mentioned my message was you know stop being insecure and get on with the work once you feel that you have something to offer you know you don't get on in the, with the work when you're in the middle of a dark night of the soul you know that's not the time to go and start you know trying to support others and doing light work per se but when you're feeling stable you wake up and you're like, you know, I feel generally pretty good. I have impulses to share. I have uh, the energy. I have the the ideas. Begin. then you don't have to wait until you're, you know, some sort of perfected being because that's not a thing. It doesn't exist. Anybody who acts as if they are is lying to you. They're lying to you. And anybody who believes in these ideas of perfection, those ideas need to be dismantled. It is very, very toxic and unhealthy. And it's uh, it's once again, that spiritual ego coming in to criticize and, and shut down and that sort of thing. And with that said, another disclaimer here, We don't want to use these ideas to get involved in spiritual bypassing, of course. Right. You know, we don't want to say, Oh, well, I'm not perfect. Jesus wasn't perfect. Buddha wasn't perfect. Nobody was perfect. So, you know, I can be an abuser. That's no, no, no. We don't use these ideas to harm ourselves or others, but we also don't use those ideas to hold ourselves back from, from offering our gifts to the world.
1: It's like finding balance between those two poles you just mentioned and I feel like even the awakening process is about becoming balanced, like even balancing masculine and feminine to some extent within, like we both have all these energies. I notice myself a lot of this hustle mentality still there, like, you know, a purpose, like taking massive action, wanting to crush it, goals, etc. Then I'm like finding on the other side of the awakening process brings out this feminine part of like releasing emotions and needing to rest. And I'm finding myself balancing those uh, spheres and extremes in myself as well on this journey, which can be challenging as well like as a man it's like all emotions emotions are for women and stuff right it's like we're kind of conditioned to push them down and that can actually delay our healing process as well i find you know
0: right right yeah the uh the cultural ideas exist as well that you know not the not necessarily just the spiritual ego comes in but then there's also you could say like you know the uh a hustler ego, especially big on social media and that sort of thing. That stuff can come in, right? And and it's all has to be tempered with awareness and gentleness and, and moving in a natural way. Uh finding balance, of course, because you know you, you mentioned massive action. We want to take some action. Maybe not, you know, burn out, but we want to take some action. We don't want to fall into the the spiritual ideas of, you know, just let her, say or lay, lay around, you know, lay on the couch, hang out on the beach don't do anything, you know, we want to actually take some action as well. So it's a, it's a balance, like you said.
1: 100%. Um, How do you think like people can start with their life purpose? Do you think it's like maybe some intuition or like they should do affirmations or the law of attraction? Like what are your kind of thoughts on that?
0: Life purpose um, can vary greatly, especially for people on the spiritual path. I think a lot of people sometimes think that, you know, okay, they're going through spiritual awakening. That means once they reach a point of stability, they're going to be called to become an author or a speaker or you know to have a YouTube channel like you or I, or uh, you know, become an energy healer or something spiritual. And so it can be difficult when you know they're only looking at those spiritual um, vocations, those overtly spiritual vocations and they don't feel like any of those resonate with them. Well, that's because many of us aren't called to be working in an overtly spiritual context. Maybe your life purpose is to be the greatest parent that you can be, the greatest partner, the greatest person at your career. Um, you know, maybe it's to inject your spirituality and and the insights and 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 wisdom that you have, but inject it within some field that is, you know, not overtly spiritual. So maybe, you know, presenting ideas about, you know, spirituality within um you know like maybe the fitness industry or or even finance for example um, you know we need people in all of these spheres uh, sharing the spiritual wisdom and insight in incognito ways as well and so your life purpose doesn't have to be this overtly spiritual thing though it can be it can be for some and and for some it, it will make sense it will be obvious but not for everybody and you know there's a lot of people out there that have gone through very significant awakenings who don't have any material online? They don't talk about this. Maybe they couldn't even put it into any words, and because they're living their purpose in another way, you know, maybe they're just really great parents. You know, for example, a really great friend, or maybe their life purpose is to just um, care for people in suffering. You know, talk to somebody who's suffering. You know, maybe they're homeless or they're sick. You know, talk to them about kundalini awakening, but you hold space for them from that state of consciousness within yourself. And you're present with them and you meet them as a human being, you know, maybe just comforting them, talking to them about, you know, gossip, whatever it is. The spiritual stuff can be um, offered without talking about it openly. So we can look at our purpose like that. For those who, you know, might feel, you know, I don't know what my purpose is and stuff like that. I can, I can totally relate. Um, you know, it's been it's an ongoing uh, challenge for me, especially because it's happened to me in the spiritual, spiritual awakening. All this stuff's happened to me so early on. I never really had the opportunity to establish uh, some sort of worldly career, and so many people establish a worldly career. You know, they make uh, make their money, they they build a family, and then they have spiritual awakening. And it's it's jarring because you know they have to like sometimes uh, leave careers, find a new purpose, all that kind of stuff. It's challenging in its own right. But for me, you know, I. I at 15, I realized it was the only thing. And so like everything else became like just secondary, you know, studying in school and that sort of thing. Um, I found that experimenting and trying many different things, that is uh, a great way to see what we like. Um, for me, after having experimented with many different things, I found photography was a way for me to share my gifts um express myself create art and also make a living and so that was my purpose but even bigger i recognized that um you know i have more to give and inwardly i was told very clearly what my mission would be which would be to like my life's mission my my soul mission my my life's purpose which would be to do this work and so those things can come inwardly if you're open to it so we can ask for guidance and insight. Um, I had a very interesting experience that I actually haven't talked about um uh, on my channel. I've been meaning to, but I guess this is the time. So during this point where I was like in this sort of limbo, you know, I'd gone through spiritual awakening. I know, okay, I'm not really meant to work in like a corporate environment. Um I don't know what you know, what is my purpose? Yeah, I got photography going on, but you know, with AI, I think photography's it's done. <laughs> Give it a year or so. And, uh, you know, all of these visual arts uh, careers are going to be radically transformed. And so I know, you know, I can't be doing this for like an entire lifetime, photography. So what is it? You know, what is my purpose? What is the real calling here? And there was a great uh, stress to try and figure it out, to try and figure it out. And I felt pressure to figure it out for myself, as if I was in control. And so I, I, I pray, and I, when I pray, I ask just the universe, God, you know, give me some guidance, let me know what's going on, what do I do? And so one night I had a dream. I was, I was in this sort of church-like, temple-like building, very beautiful, uh, vibrant colors, very psychedelic, and in the pews were all of these different. Um, I would, I would look at them as like great masters. I couldn't identify them, but all very radiant, very unique clothing, very, uh, you know, like hyper-realistic sort of uh, a dream, unusual dream. And then there was a man and he was, uh, you know, he was Jesus. It was Jesus. And he told me, you know, come and he, we went and we walked around the church and I said, Jesus, you know, like, tell me, what do I do, man? Like What do I do? Like, what is my purpose? And he just said, your destiny is written on your soul. Wow. And then I woke up. I love that. Man. And I thought, yeah, it was very powerful because I contemplated and I thought, okay, so he's saying my destiny. So that means this is all predestined. What I'm going to do is already decided. I don't have to go and figure it out and make something happen. It's decided. It's destiny. It's, it's God's will. It's, it's uh, you know the divine orchestration. It's destined. It's written, it's pre-scripted. It's like movie script, it's written, but it's not written out there somewhere where I have to go and find, where is it written? Where can I see? It's written inside on my soul. I'll write on my soul. The story of how my life will unfold is already written. And so I thought, okay, I can give up this desperate search for what I'm supposed to do. It's I can't get it wrong. You, it's impossible to get it wrong, and I need to stop looking outside for what I'm supposed to do and just turn inwards. And it, I'll be able to, you know, maybe see a line or two of what's next. Maybe not the whole script all at once, but a line or two. Okay, that's what I'll do. All right. And so these these words, your destiny is is written on your soul. Um, I contemplate it often. Every time I forget, and I start to think, you know, maybe it's my YouTube channel. Oh no, I haven't uploaded a video in a long time. You know, I got to do something. I let all that go. It's all written already. The time, the upload times, and and the view count, and and the subscribers. All it's all written already. I can let all that go. So all the the hustle mentality, you know, the massive action stuff. All those ideas fall away. They're all trumped by this idea that I'm just playing out my destiny. And so from there, there comes a great relaxation. And from that relaxation comes inspiration to act. And sometimes that inspiration does move me to take massive action. Maybe it does move me to stay up late and work, but it comes from a very different place. From staying up late and working to try and, you know, um, make something of myself. Now it comes just because I'm, I'm, I'm moved by the divine within. I'm in- inspired. I'm enjoying staying up. It's not, it's not a, a, it's not a challenge to do it. I'm not fighting anymore. I'm just relaxing. And this is an ongoing dance. I can totally get involved in in forgetting that it's all predestined and written on my soul and and start to, you know, fall back into old patterns. And, you know, it's an ongoing work. But but that was what Jesus told me in the dream, at least, in the dream.
1: It reminds me when you said that of, like, the concept in non-duality of non-doership. So even if you study Ramna's work, he's like, oh, you know, you don't need to do anything. It's all already predestined and stuff. And that can be a challenging proposition for the ego, right? Because the ego wants control. It wants to influence the future, plan everything, and have everything laid out and avoid even triggers and avoids, you know, issues or problems, whereas the soul maybe wants to go through that, right? So that's interesting. Um, do you think, like, right. it's the whole um, non-doership thing and that that's, like, the truth, the ultimate highest truth? Or do you think, like, maybe we can still influence our timeline or something by, you know, doing affirmations, visualizing, or even just going within or something like that?
0: Yeah, it's a, it's a really interesting uh, paradoxical, you know, conundrum. I think that this idea of non-doership, destiny, predestined free will doesn't exist. God's will is all there is, et cetera. I think that serves as a tool to snap us out of when we're in states of trying to desperately control things, and trying to desperately uh, make things happen, and trying to figure it out ourselves. When we're in too far on that end of the spectrum, then ideas of non-doership and and you know, uh, there's only God's will. There's only a you know, a pre-written divine orchestration happening, snap us out of it. But then if we're too much on the non-doership end and we're just sitting on the couch being like, there's nothing to do, there's nobody here, everything is happening on its own, then we need to hear ideas of, you have to go and do the work. You have to go out and participate in the journey of life as a human being. Participation, engagement. You didn't come here as an, you didn't incarnate you know, from the divine or whatever to sit on your couch and say, oh, there's nobody here, there's nothing to do. Like, that's not what you're here to do. You're here to participate, you're to play the role and like role play and, you know, put on the mask of Brent and go out in the world and, and engage. Um, and so there's a fine balance there. And so at times, yes, non-doership is a good, useful tool. And at other times, uh, free will, contemplating that is is also a useful tool. So we find balance in the middle. And in the middle, those, those ideas merge and we recognize there is no free will. There's only God's will and there's only God. And I'm God and you're God, and everyone else is a God and we're playing out God's will in that way. And so then, yeah, if you want to engage in some sort of spiritual practice, maybe it's affirmations, maybe you're practicing writing a journal and trying to, di- uh, you, know, uh, you know, fantasizing about the future and in an attempt to manifest that future, that's part of the excitement of the journey we can flip the script a little bit and think you know yeah i'm saying some affirmations i am confident i'm healthy i'm wealthy whatever it is it's not that you're creating that reality in the future when you do those affirmations you have like a psychic antenna that's picking up on the future reality already and that's what you're speaking about you're tuning into the future and saying oh i'm i'm happy i'm healthy i'm wealthy as if you're already there so it's the future coming back to the past to tell you what it's about rather than you Trying to project your ideas of what the future is going to be about, you see what I mean? It's mm-hmm. like it's all happening in the mo- It's all happening in the now, anyway. And so, manifestation is an interesting thing because sometimes we get overly uh, focused on. I have to put effort into creating my own reality. I've got to do the affirmations. What if it's already said? What if you've already made it in the future and now you're just enjoying the journey there? And part of the in journey, part of enjoying the journey there is participating in uh the exciting joyful activity of saying positive affirmations just because it feels good right and so these are different ways that we have to kind of like throw the whole spiritual journey like flip it around look at it from different angles because if you only look at it from one angle for too long it stops working you've got to keep shifting and keep looking at it from here and there you got to be very very flexible if you get stuck in one spot um once, once those perspectives have served their purpose for you, they begin to turn on you. Right.
1: I've noticed that as well. Like sometimes being in manifesto mode, and then it's like, I'm called to be more in letting go. Then I've been in letting go for a while. Then I'm more like, Oh, more intention, more action, kind of like flowing, like this balance. And I keep getting the theme balance in this like whole interview. It's like all about balance and awareness and just being with what is, and also being taking inspired action and stuff like that. I think. And, um,
0: yes do you do you
1: recommend to people like that you work with if they don't have a spiritual practice that they kind of implement one i think earlier we talked about how the ascension process does its own thing so it's again there's no like structure um but i see a lot of teachers they're like oh i recommend you have a meditation practice in the morning or something even i recommend that to people sometimes to have a meditation practice even though i don't do it perfectly either i tell them that i'm like hey you know i recommend having some kind of spiritual practice it could be hugely beneficial but I don't do it every day. I never was perfect. Sometimes I miss it, even though I set the intention, but then I'm like, Oh, life got in the way or I was tired and slept in or whatever, you know? So (laughs) what are your thoughts on that?
0: Yeah, I have a, a similar approach to you. I don't have any rigid spiritual practices myself, like on a schedule, on a routine. It's, it's, I like to use the word organic. It's very organic and it's like an art. It's like a dance. It shifts, it changes, and that could be day to day, that could be month to month, year to year, etc. So, what I recommend to people is to just consider if they have no practice, especially if they're very like uh, lost, because the spiritual journey can be so confusing. You know, we got crystals here, we got meditation, we got, you know, drugs, we got all these different things. And It's like, you know, what do I do? What's going on? I say, okay, just twenty minutes a day meditate in an organic way. If you mess up, no problem. If you want to sit more, no problem. If it comes 10 minutes, 15 minutes, and you feel like you're done, get up and get on with your day. You don't have to sit and say, I'm going to do this 20 minutes a day. Like it's like a workout routine or something. It's not, it's a different type of pursuit. And so we set an intention, just a general direction, and then we let it go where it goes. And so for some people, I know, like, like even for me, like I was saying, you know, the first time I sat to meditate already, I had some sort of kundalini phenomena. Within the first moment I closed my eyes and, and shifted my intention inwards, kundalini is happening from that point i couldn't meditate right like i i I couldn't do it and so there are other people out there that maybe you know you tell them meditate for uh you know 20 minutes a day because it'll improve their life and suddenly they're having a full-blown kundalini awakening in the first session and they think like i was reading a book uh just recently somebody was going to a meditation class she was going briefly um a few sessions in has a full-blown kundalini awakening sort of experience suddenly having you know Unity consciousness and, and she thinks, Oh, finally I've figured out meditation. Okay, this is what everybody has been talking about this whole time. And she's like, Yeah, you know, I was finally figured out how to meditate. But she thought that was what meditation was. She thought everybody who meditated was experiencing that. And um, then she under finally under she thought she finally understood, you know, uh, this is why people like to meditate because it feels like so mystical and incredible. And then she starts to describe her experience to the teacher and other people, and they're like, Yeah, no, that's uh pretty unusual, pretty incredible, but not common. So from then that point, she has to go and start working with Kundalini in a very organic and and natural way, which sometimes uh, meditation is not the answer. But just to bring some sort of grounded approach, I just say, meditate, set the intention, the intention, the loose intention to meditate 20 minutes a day. And the meditation that I recommend is just focusing on the natural organic rhythm of the breathing in the lower belly. That's it. No attempt to control it. No attempt to speed it up, slow it down. Uh, nothing. Just observing it there. And I say in the lower belly because that tends to keep people a little bit more grounded. If I say third eye or something, sometimes people can get a little bit more, a little bit too spacey, have a little bit too, uh, too much going on up in the head. And that generally is the you know, our culture is very disembodied, very much ungrounded in general. So that's why I just say in the lower belly, not an attempt to even awaken Kundalini from the root or anything, it just being mindful of the rising and the falling of the lower belly. And from there, be very organic, Flow. you'll see what's right, but just paying attention to the lower belly is a very safe meditation. Um, there are some meditations that can be very powerful, but, uh, can bring about some, some great instability. And so I don't like to uh, share those meditations.
1: That makes sense. What are your thoughts on like the self-inquiry, like Ramana Maharshi, like who am I? I think a lot of people eventually get to Ramana, like I think you also talked about himself, realization, non-duality, Advaita Vedanta. Um, is that also something we can do as a med- meditation practice where we ask self, who am I? And kind of rest as awareness. And if some thoughts come, to whom do these thoughts arise? To me, who am I? And then always returning back to awareness. Or is that something like sometimes people say, oh, I'll do that throughout the whole day or something. Um, what are your thoughts on that one?
0: So I kind of glossed over this part of my journey. Um, but around 2012, I, I was practicing uh, very much self-inquiry. Uh, very deeply throughout the day. Uh, you know what is true. Who am I? What am I? All that kind of stuff. Uh, just ongoing inquiry. Eventually, there was a significant opening in the crown, and that's why I, you know began to access this non-dual, uh, consciousness, non-duality. Um, very effective meditations and aspirations and and spiritual path. Very very effective, very potent. It's just important to be mindful that. The journey never ends. There is always more work to be done and to never forget that. Because what happens when you ask, Who am I? And finally, you get the answer, you know, you realize who you are, which is, you know, non dual awareness, the self, pure being, et cetera. That experience blasts open your crown, for example. You feel transcendent. It's incredible, very liberating. All of the now, all of the the non-dual teachings, Zen starts to make perfect sense. You know, you read like uh, you know Avadhuta Gita, it makes perfect sense. You're, oh, this is amazing, and it can feel as if you've come to a point where there's no work left to be done. It can feel complete, totally liberated. And what happens is then people begin to think, "Oh, I'm enlightened," and disregard all the other chakras in the body. All this conditioning, karma, samsaras, vasanas, samskaras, uh, vasanas, conditioning, all this whatever trauma you want to call it, nervous system is all tense. It's all still stays there, but now you're abiding in this sort of witnessing mode and going, oh, it's all complete. I'm enlightened. So that's why I'm saying you can explore those practices as long as you remember there is no completion. There's always work left to be done, even after you realize the self And it feels like there's no work left to be done. There's still an ongoing trajectory. So there's a a teacher by the name of Ken Wilber, not too familiar with his work, but he describes two, I think it's taken out of a larger context, but there's two main themes of the journey. He describes waking up and then he describes cleaning up. You can wake up, feel incredibly spacious, incredibly distant, but that doesn't mean you've cleaned up. Cleaning up has to do with coming deep into the body. And that's what happens to me. Kundalini brought me into the body uh, to do this intense purification, like I was describing, you know, intense emotional stuff was coming up. And that was part of my cleaning up work. Major, major chunks of it have been done, but still there is, you know, ongoing tidying up to do ongoing maintenance. Um, So that's, that's what I would say to people that are interested in exploring the work of Ramana, for example. Ramana has my, you know, My full devotion, very, very meaningful and important uh, uh, guide for me on my path. What's interesting is that even Ramana spent decades in a cave. Now, what was he doing in the cave? I would argue that he was cleaning up. Awakening happened, but then he went in the cave and sat there to clean up. Now we have people doing self-inquiry but they're not going to the cave. Just walking around now, making, you know, talks on YouTube, but oh, there's nobody here. Nothing to do. No one here. Um, you know, the ego does it doesn't exist. All this kind of stuff. Well, and then they're also citing Ramana. Well, look, Ramana said this. Yeah, but Ramana also spent, you know, decades in the cave. You know, you had an awakening last week, <laughs> right? So, these are the things that we need to be mindful of. Always work to be done. Always work to be done. And I'm speaking from experience here because I, this all happened to me. That's why I'm saying this. You know, I had experience. like, oh, I'm, per, I'm enlightened, man. Oh, forget all the trauma in the body. That's all attachment and ego. That's, ah, forget all that. But suddenly I can't relate with people. Suddenly I, I, my my body, my heart still wants to have romance and meaningful relationships. But there's things in the way of having that really, uh, uh you know, be meaningful and, and deep. And that's all my conditioning. That's all the stuff I haven't cleaned up. And it happens to most people, you know, you abide in this non-dual state, but then suddenly behind the scenes, they're suffering, but they can't openly talk about it because they've got people out there who believe they're fully enlightened. And so now behind the scenes, you know, maybe they're they're dealing with uh, substance abuse or, or they're, you know, um, having difficult emotional experiences. And there's great dissonance because they're like, well, I thought I was enlightened. Why do I feel this way? And now they're kind of, they've pigeonholed themselves. It was very, very important to be mindful that the journey doesn't end. Ongoing work has to be done.
1: It's all about humility and authenticity, even. Let's say you're called to make videos, I'm embracing also more like saying, Oh, oh I felt like shit, you know, like, and then sometimes the ego's like, Oh, I should portray myself as this perfect, but I'm like, no, I'm being authentic. I'm being real, man. Like I'm just gonna share. I'm not claiming. Someone even asked me, like a client, like, oh, have you transcended all suffering? Are you no longer triggered by anything? I'm like, no, man, <laughs> I still get triggered and stuff like. I've come a long way, but there's still work to be done. You know, I'm not perfect or something like that. You know, I definitely still have ego struggles going on, emotional purges and crazy triggers or something. So like, yeah, I share that as well. It's like a journey. I I do share like even Eckhart as well. Like he went to a park bench, right? Like he was sitting on the park bench for a long time, right? So like, I feel like I also wanted that when I began to awaken. I wanted this space where I can just chill out and not need to do anything, need to make money, need to have some kind of career or something because that's like really challenging because it would be just ideal to just chill for a couple of years in a, in a cave or just chill out in some yoga center and just like about all the changes to happen right but uh, we're in the world right and we have this awakening in the world now so that can be challenging too so uh, i think surrender and balance and authenticity and self-love taking care of yourself is so essential on this journey and not seeing yourself as some perfect person or even holding yourself to that standard or something.
0: Right. Right. That's exactly it. You know, uh, we, we work out the kinks in the world now. Yeah. There will be periods where you might retreat a little bit, you know, for a season or two, you're a little bit more recluse, but we work out the kinks with the assistance of society, our relationships, they trigger us to help us to clean up a little faster. Because Raman in the cave, it took him decades. He didn't have anybody there, you know, poking, pressing his buttons, triggering him. It was all coming up, uh, you know, without that support, you know. But here we have the support of people pushing our buttons to bring things to our awareness so we can release it a little faster because that's what I feel uh, contributes to the accelerated ascension that's happening on the planet. You know, uh, when Ramana was going through this, things weren't as fast, right? And if you if you wanted to 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 meet him, for example, you know you might have had to, to travel great distances to go and meet him, right? Now I can look up on YouTube. I can I can have you know multiple tabs open of different teachers from around the world, right? Have kind of books, all this stuff. It's it's all the support is like very very accessible now. So all of that contributes to a little bit of a different pacing of, of the journey. And even, even Eckhart Tolle, you know, he sat on the bench. Um, you know, I don't think it was for decades, but a few years. But now, like, you know, just one season, a couple of weeks, you can make great, great leaps in, in cleaning up. As long as we don't get to the the idea or the point that, you know, I'm perfectly cleaned up, like we were talking earlier, right? there's, there's no such thing. It just keeps on going.
1: You just mentioned the accelerated ascension process. I also feel that it's kind of been accelerating and like it's a different time. Like you mentioned, maybe teachings from the past, they were also more in that time, which wasn't a time that spiritual intensity of kundalini awakening of like mass awakening of consciousness. And I feel like there's a five D shift to a new earth. And even Jesus spoke of the new earth, right? And Eckhart has a book, a new earth as well. So maybe we can dive into that. Do you think we're kind of maybe manifesting a new earth, like the earth's vibration is increasing and we're ascending as a collective species. And I'd love to get your take on that whole thing.
0: Yeah, there definitely is. An accelerated what we would call ascension. And one of my favorite teachers, Matt Kahn, he describes ascension as multiple people going through awakening. Like many people going through awakening, we call that ascension, right? So there's many people going through awakening, many more than ever before. um, And there's a shift happening on the planet. Now within spirituality, this idea can sometimes get a little bit um, in the realm of like, there's gonna be a utopia and we're all gonna have a Kundalini awakening and we're gonna be singing kumbaya and it's gonna be like we're all on magic mushrooms all the time. You know, it's like I I bought in some of these ideas as well, you know. Um, but I, I think it's a little bit more exciting, and there's always gonna be something that we cannot fully uh predict that has to do with what's happening on the planet. And so I don't think there's any one-person tradition, uh, no channel that knows really the, what's going to unfold in the future, uh, but I don't think it's going to be like some like crazy utopia. I think what's going to happen is over time, some of the older structures will start to kind of uh, dissolve to make way for, for newer ways and newer ways of operating. Maybe it's like financial system. Maybe it's uh, the way we look at healthcare Um, you know, our relationships with, uh, psychedelics, for example, I think there's like a reemergence happening in that in those fronts. Um, the ideas of, you know, the very evolved and developed ideas of mindfulness, meditation and awakening from the East are getting more and more established here in the West. Um, quantum physics are coming to discover, you know, things that mystics have known, but now they're putting, you know, a, a, a scientific context around it and so i think even even they will become mystics like the the quantum physicists and so there's like a great ascension happening but um if we get too attached to you know one day in the future there'll be a utopia i think we will be somewhat let down i think it will be something unique and i think the more important thing is to focus on our own work and if we all just focus on our own work naturally the the next um um Iteration of our planet will begin to emerge. Um, so I don't focus too much on what's happening on the planet in terms of the uh, the energies and stuff like that. I know there's some people that have uh, you know talks about ascension energies. Um, like I mentioned, maybe there's some astrological events that kind of coincide with awakening and that sort of thing. And um, I'm not saying that that's not valid. I think it is valid. Actually, I've had some some experiences that kind of uh, have shown me that it is valid. It's just not my focus per se. My focus is on the individual. Um, and, and so that's, uh, that's sort of my approach to those topics.
1: I love it, man. Uh, I love this interview man. I love everything you've shared so far and it resonates deeply with me and my own experiences too. Is there anything that you wanted to add as well before we wrap it up shortly?
0: Uh, I I just wanted to address, uh, your point. I didn't really speak much about it, it was about like Ascension symptoms. Did you want to, did you want to go there?
1: Yeah, for me, that's been a big part of the journey, like having lots of ascension symptoms, like upgrades and shifts and my crazy Kundalini experiences and lots of fatigue. You know, in the beginning, I would sleep a lot, you know, a lot more than usual. I feel like super tired and fatigued, like almost like something was wrong with me physically. But I know it was just the awakening process taking its toll. And I feel like there's lots of light coming down or something beaming into us and increasing our vibration. And the body has like a hard time keeping up with all these shifts and transformation that is arising. And so I feel that that's what explains ascension symptoms. And I was just curious about your take on it as well, how you view the whole ascension symptoms thing.
0: Yeah, I I agree with you. Where we differ is I call them ascension signs. I I feel that the wording symptom, even Kundalini symptoms, awakening symptoms, it it implies that there's like some sort of pathology there. And with symptoms, we want to kind of, you know, cure them and their problem. Signs is different. Signs of a great transformation happening. Signs of awakening. What are the signs? Oh, great fatigue. That's a sign of awakening. So that means we 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 rest. If it's a symptom, we have to. Oh, okay. Well, I need to fix something. Maybe I gotta, like, you know, find some magic supplement to stop the ascension symptom of fatigue. So that's my, my that's where we differ a little bit. But I, I feel like um, this is just uh, semantics. I I don't think that you really view it in like a, a pathological way you know based on your work and it's stuff. just something i yeah. picked
1: up you know like as other youtubers and i just yeah you know, when i when my thing started i had no fucking clue what was going on i was by myself all these crazy experiences i'm like and we're going insane man like what's happening you know <laughs> and then i watched yeah. these other youtube videos oh okay it's ascension symptoms and i just kind of used the terminology that what you're saying resonates even more like um, i would agree with the ascension signs and that they're actually signs of progress and not something to fight or like fix as you said you know that resonates
0: Right. Right. Yeah. So, so with my, my YouTube channel, for example, I think I've got to talk about Kundalini signs and symptoms. So I put the keyword symptoms in there because that's what people look for. Right. And so I, I totally understand. I, I know we're on, we're on the same page on that front. Um, for me, I just recognize, you know, like uh, just like puberty, we have all different signs of puberty, right? You know, fatigue, changes in interests, body changing, uh, you know, we're becoming more emotionally mature, more psychologically mature. Same thing that's going on here, just in a, in a spiritual direction now. And so uh, I like to sometimes just minimize the whole uh, spiritual awakening is so difficult and challenging, and just say, no, it's not. It's just like puberty. You went through that. You didn't trip about it. You'll get through this. You don't have to trip about it. And so that's kind of the, my my approach and the way I, I think about it. Um, we also want to be mindful not to assume that all of our physical or emotional or mental psychological issues are spiritual. Sometimes they do need to be addressed by, uh, you know, a doctor, right? And that doesn't have to contradict our spiritual awakening. Sometimes, you know, um, we just need mundane biological medicine or some sort of it doesn't have to all be wrapped up in spirituality. I think sometimes people can get a little too caught up in that. And then they don't realize that, you know, like um, they would benefit from just changing up some of their habits or maybe some like, you know, vitamin deficiency or something, or even um, addressing some of our issues through therapy, through uh, like evidence-based scientific therapeutic modalities that don't have any context of spirituality. You don't talk about spirituality. So sometimes, you know, maybe we're having an ascension sign of like emotional purification and purging. Yeah, that doesn't mean we can't go and seek out like a, a grounded, scientific, you know, materialistic, atheist therapist that can support us, for example. So so my approach is like to, to not use uh, the umbrella of spirituality to dismiss everything else. I think we're being called to use all the different tools that are accessible to us and find out how we can see the spirituality in all those environments. So we don't want to um, create like these uh, categories. Holistic, alternative approaches are the best. The uh, you know Western medical model is all BS. No, it's all God, right? It's all divine. It's all spiritual. There's nothing that's not spiritual so where's the, what is the value in all of these different things that's our invitation at times well at times it's not um and and so i i try to i try and do my best to bring my own spirituality my own spiritual journey as well as to invite others to bring it all into the world on the ground and then spread it out like across every domain every sphere nothing is not um suitable to have some sort of spiritual approach. You can go to the doctor and the doctor can be seen as God and the doctor can give you medicine. And that medicine can be seen as like Soma, nectar of the gods, whatever. And you can take it and you can feel healed. It doesn't have to be that only, you know, ayahuasca in the jungle is like, you know, this like elixir. No, even like pharmaceuticals, because everything is God. Everyone is God. So that's my approach to dealing with all this. I think that's what we're being called to do because we don't want to um, think of the Ascension as being this thing that's going to be completely separate from the mundane world. No, it is going to happen on the mundane world. It's going to happen within all sectors and it is happening. And um, yeah, I I guess I'm rambling a little bit there, but uh, I hope uh, that makes some sense.
1: Yeah, that makes total sense, man. Thanks for sharing. Uh, Do you think there's like some, you know, the past kind of three years have been kind of crazy on the world stage, right? With like, you know, lots of restrictions and everything. I'm not going to mention certain keywords here for algorithm purposes and stuff, but do you think that maybe there are some like forces that are kind of working against humanity and that there's some kind of like good and bad and on this world or is that also a duality trap or something because you say everything is God or something?
0: Yeah. So I'm happy you brought us there because I don't want to, once again, uh, get caught up in spiritual bypassing and saying everything is God, even, you know, somebody who's abusive, or maybe there's some uh, corruption on, on a, you know, on a larger scale, you know, we don't want to say all those people are God. And, and, you know, we do also have to play our role of questioning things and um, not believing everything that we see at face value. And that goes on a grand scale. It also goes on a, on a minor scale within our own relationships. So we want to apply discernment. And um, in the bigger picture, when I really zoom out, I don't think that there is anything that is not part of uh the divine unfolding. I don't think that there's anything trying to, uh, you know, get in the way of it or like derail it. I don't think that, I think it all is part of that. Um, When it comes to the past few years, what I recognize, at least in myself, was for many people, this was an opportunity, uh, which what I would call a forced retreat. So you're you're forced to retreat. Some people have been, you know, hustling and and, and working and they never had an opportunity to turn inward. And this was a perfect context for that. And um very early on, I think within like a, a month or a few weeks, I recognized this. You know, when everything started to, you know, um, um get shut down. I recognized this. And it it uh, coincided with many people's awakening. I I come across a lot of people that are speaking about you know during this period suddenly had some shifts similar to the shifts that you and I had a little bit earlier. And um the general themes that I see is that they're not as uh confused or lost or um the pace that they go through things is a little bit faster than what was happening even ten years ago. Like it's because of this this uh period of time where things were were shut down and whatnot um it was a forced accelerated retreat and it wasn't a retreat by yourself in a little meditation hut it was a retreat with your family your partner it was a retreat with uh you know maybe the, the few people that you could have in your little social gathering and so there's a lot to unravel in terms of ancestral trauma in terms of all the different issues relationship stuff um, and so it seems to have been like a, a very useful context. Now, with that said, you know I don't want to uh, dismiss the great difficulty that came from those times that are still going on. You know, people getting sick uh, on many levels, not just to do with you know the the major uh, um, worldwide Ill- illness, but mental health issues, um, you know, uh, substance abuse, all this kind of stuff was happening. And I think all of these challenges provide context for development and growth um, in the bigger picture. And in some way, I mean, I'm not everybody necessarily had to have a, a spiritual awakening, but hopefully there was some silver lining and growth to be, to be seen for us all as we went all through all that together.
1: Yeah, that's, that's great. I think often adversity comes with like the hidden blessing of transformation. So like whenever some dark shit happens or something goes wrong in that is always the seeds of transformation, like something great can emerge from that. So I kind of learned as a result of my life experience so far, you know, sometimes when stuff gets the worst, it might just be before the next breakthrough or something, or even on the Ascension journey, maybe some doubt comes up and some fear or some release. And then after that, you feel more expanded, right? So there's this trend I find of like, just before something bad, something good can actually come from it. And I think that's a great way to wrap it up as well, you know, and dude, I'm so grateful that you came here today. It was super inspiring to me, you know. And I love, I love the work that you're doing and you have a great message, man.
0: Oh, well, thank you so much. This has been a really, really exciting conversation. I've had a great time. You've uh, been great company today, Andy. I appreciate it. And I'm really honored. I'm really honored. I love what you got going on with uh, your own work. So I'm happy to uh, be a part of it. So thanks so much for the opportunity. Thank you.